you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're so grateful today. The mercy of God extended to each of us. Where would we be if it wasn't for the mercy of the Lord? What a privilege it is for us to be gathered together today in the house of God. And let's just open our hearts today to see what the Lord will speak to us. I'm sure you come with needs in your lives, burdens on your hearts, requests. Seems like every day brings a new burden, a new need, a new sickness, a new disease on somebody. But we're so grateful that our God and His power is greater than all the powers of the enemy. Let's read together from the book of Colossians, if you would, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. In spite of all that is going on in the world today, all the things that are so troubling, whether it's Russia, Ukraine, whether it's disease, sickness, affliction, whatever it is, none of these things have altered the plan of our God. Sometimes these things happen to pull our attention away from what he really wants us to focus on. That's what his plan really is. I imagine that the church at Colossae was overwhelmed when they received this little book. It's a very small book, but yet contains so many wonderful things. Listen as Paul unveils something that has been kept secret since the foundation of the world. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature the firstborn of every creature. Now remember the firstborn in the Old Testament always had special rights. So Christ, the Logos, which came out of God, is the firstborn of every creature. So the firstborn has rights, special rights. Firstborn in the Old Testament was to be the order of the priesthood. Also had a double portion, many things the firstborn had. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now just because of the new telescope that's been uh, sent out just a few weeks ago, I hope you understand that man for the first time since the dawn of creation has been able to look back into light that is millions and millions of years old. They're thinking that they're looking and going to find duplicate universes of things that we have seen for a long time. And yet they were all made by him. You think, why are they all even there? Nobody ever seen them. I mean, nobody up to this generation's ever even seen some of the things that they've seen and are going to see. It's all a signature of his greatness. He loves it. It was for him before man ever saw it. Think of the billions of people that have lived on the earth that have never seen what you and I have been privileged to see. He is before all things, and by him, 
all things consist. Whenever the devil likes to kind of brag to me, you know, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that and I'm gonna do something else. This is one of my favorite scriptures I love to read to him. Because he can't say this about himself. He is before all things and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. And what you notice Paul said in verse 15, he's the firstborn of every creature. Now he says he's the firstborn from the dead. Now he was not the first one to ever rise from the dead, but he was the first one to rise this way, that he maintained his glorified body and he still got it today. That in all things he might have the preeminence. Oh God, let that be our desire today. I mean, I'd like to be remembered before the Lord today as we pray. I'd like to mention to you, if you'd be praying for Erica this week and next week, she'll be starting her <clears throat> chemo treatment again tomorrow, and the doctor's going to cut it in half uh, compared to what it was the last time, and they'll be watching her, of course, and making sure that she's able to take it okay. So if you'd help us to pray about that, we certainly would appreciate it. Let's just now bow our heads together and call on the name of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we count it a great honor today to be gathered here in this place. Lord Jesus, we're asking you for your mercy once again. We're so glad, as our sister just sang, mercy said no. The devil said was too far gone. Maybe even some of our friends and family said we were too far gone, but mercy said no. Maybe the day we got saved, the night we got saved, some people thought there wasn't even no hope. I'm sure that's probably what they thought about that poor thief on the cross. No doubt that day when the sun had set, all the religious people had gathered together, and they talked about this man, Jesus. They talked about the thieves on the cross, and they probably thought, poor, wretched souls. They're down in Sheol, forever lost never to be able to be saved anymore. They lived such a wretched life. But little did they know from the cracked lips of one of those hanging on their cross. The Lord Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Mercy said no to that man. So Lord Jesus, death, cancer, tumors, sickness, car wrecks, whatever they are, they may come and say, They've come to get our life. But once again, mercy can say, oh, no, you don't. Amen. I've got a divine purpose. Amen. Father, we pray today for those that are sick and needy. I pray for Brother Ron Spencer. You see, Lord, he's had a couple of days where he's really been battling. The Lord going to try to speak today. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our brother. Just be with him, Father. Touch him, Lord. Got an appointment tomorrow and we're asking, Lord, that all will be well. Lord God, we're asking you that you'd be mindful of Erica. Lord, you see not feeling good today. And Lord, it's like that devil knew that she was going to start that tomorrow and just attacked her today, knock her out of church. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we pray, Father, as she starts this tomorrow, that you would just be with her. Lord, you just see, Father, what happened the last time and um, there's too much for her apparently, but 
We're believing you, Lord God, that you're going to move. We already speak it in your name. By your stripes, she is already healed. Every need today in the visible audience and the invisible, would you speak to us, minister to us today according to your greatness. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now God's secret mystery. He had before the world began, back in the back part of God's mind. There was something he was trying and was going to achieve. He had a motive in doing it in order to let himself be expressed. Because first, there wasn't even a moon, star, atom, molecule, or anything. He was God. But he exactly wasn't God at that time because God is an object of worship and there wasn't nothing to worship him. So in his great mind, he wanted to express, he wanted these attributes to be expressed. And in him was love. In him was to be father. In him was to be son. In him was to be a savior. In him was to be a healer. And all these great attributes that we see already expressed, they were in God. As strange as it might seem, he's not known by studies of theology. He's not known by people that would dedicate years, even decades of their lives. And they would study the Greek, the Aramaic, They would study the ancient Hebrew. They would study every translation from Wycliffe down to King James, trying to go back to the original and make sure they found out the correct pronunciation of every word. And once that is all said and done, you still wouldn't know him unless you ever met the person. Because as lovely, wonderful, and emphatic as his word is, to know his word is not life, but it's to know him, the person of life. We can see from the shadows of the Old Testament and the types that God was allowing a portion of it to be let out, never yet fully making it known. So many of the things as we looked at last Sunday, the earthen vessel, the turtle doves, the pigeon, every time a bullock was ever sacrificed, when they would get the scapegoat and take and transfer the sins of the people over on the head of the goat, and a clean man would take the goat and lead it outside the camp. Little did they know they were prophesying. Little did they know every time a leper come to be cleansed of his leprosy. And he went by the Levitical law and did exactly by the letter, the sacrifice, the amount of days, and so on. Little did he know he was speaking of one day a cross by which man would be redeemed not only from 
a skin disease, but a soul disease. Little by little, God was letting it out, but holding back the mystery of it until the last days. Now we know the last days, when we say that term, last days, it's actually the last 2,000 years or the increments which are measured not 24-hour days, but as one day is a 1,000 years with the Lord. So in the New Testament, God started breaking this revelation of what he wanted to people to see. And Paul was, of course, the first church age messenger. And with this great inspiration, he was able to catch what David couldn't, what Jeremiah couldn't, what the Old Testament prophets could only look at and they would see it as a darkened glass. It made no sense. The reality of it never struck them. But in the breaking of him coming to the earth himself, God who shined out of darkness in the beginning and commanded let there be light and there was light, that same Father God that was so vaguely known in the Old Testament. And when we look at those who had the honored privilege to be able to get a little closer to him than others, they still could not be able to comprehend who and what he was. It was as if though he never let his heart fully be made known under the law. It was as if God let the anger side and the wrath side and the judgmental side of fatherhood be revealed. You know, the Jews themselves were very, very held back and restrained in calling him father because they could not relate to him in a term of a loving father. But they related even as Malachi pointed it out that they looked at God as being very harsh and judgmental. Even the law itself did not produce the heart of God. But the heart was kept for the new covenant. So the heart of God was not Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. God made the body of course, by laying the four corners of the foundation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Then God set the body part, which was the founding fathers of the tribes. And God lays the prophets on top of that. And what were the prophets in symbol? They were God's justice and God's judgment. So when Elijah prayed, that the heavens would not give forth rain. What was it? Symbolized by brass, turning to the brassy colors that the light would come down through the ultraviolet violet rays rather and come down to the clouds and to look up there, it would have a brassy look. What was brass? Divine judgment. So the prophets were constantly Thus saith the Lord, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and that's going to happen. What were they? The judgment of God. 
the heart of God was only barely glimpsed on occasion. When Moses stood there in the stead for the people and God was going to blot them out and Moses said, if you will blot them out, then blot me out as well. Now here we have a little tiny glimpse of the very heart of God. And that heart was projected through what? A man that was so in, and under the anointing of the day that the very heart of Christ was able to pierce through this man's being. And once in this dispensation, they could see the heart of God. As quickly as it opened and this utterance came from this anointing of Christ, it shut right back up again and they saw justice, anger, wrath. On another occasion and another, the heart of God would be projected. But alas, it would seal back up again. And man wondered and pondered what would it be so their view of a Messiah was one that would be a, a serpent bruiser. He would be a general. He would be a champion. He would be the mighty God, which mighty is Gabor, El Gabor, the champion or the captain or the host, the Lord of hosts. And God kept the heart hid. Can't you see why? If Satan would have ever seen it in the Old Testament, once the heart of God was made manifest on the earth, he would have picked it up immediately. But he himself also was blindsided. I hope this don't stumble you. By prophecy. You see, there's more to studying prophecy than just, well, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Now, we could take today the Old Testament scriptures and paint before you an image today. And we'll begin with Genesis 3, where God said about the Messiah that he would be a serpent bruiser. And we could jump from one to the other, to the other, to the other, and you would be able to see a consistent pattern of why the Jews and the rabbis looked for a general. Because that's what stuck out to them in the messianic prophecies. And they put them together, and they put one with another, with another, with another. But when it come to seeing that of him, which was projected in other messianic prophecies, such as that he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And Psalms 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All my bones, they stare at me, they pierce my hands and my feet. Isaiah 53, how that he's going to come. And he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And he was oppressed and sadness. That, that would not fit in their molding together of a messianic champion. That would not fit together with them looking for the son of David. So they put the prophecies together, but without understanding the heart of God, they missed the heart of the messianic word. 
Now you see it's very similar down to the Gentile dispensation how that many have missed him, the very Messiah himself, because they put together again the prophecies of what they think he's going to be. And this is why they don't understand the difference between the bride and the church. And they identify just church, 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 and we believe church too, of course. But we know that there is a church natural and a church spiritual. And we look and see that the church spiritual are those which do not come to him based on their own choice, but rather they come to him based on his choice. Church natural, certainly they come, they hear the gospel, they come whosoever will, let them come and take of the waters of life freely. And why do people miss that again? Because it's that secret part of the being of God that the theology will never break to you. It will never bring it to you, but it must come from the very heart of God himself. You see, truly, it is a love story. And only those that are in love with the author himself as their husband, not just as their savior, will be the ones that will be able to read the story and they will get something totally different from the same pages that others look at and they hear wrath and do's and don'ts and you can't do this and you can't go there and you can't do something else. Well, you know, people that read that, they're missing a relationship with the author that brings them so in tune that they're able to catch the theme of the book. Now, you know that if you read certain authors and those of you who read a lot of books and you catch an author's style and you're able to see that he or she will hide certain things and when you watch this man doing this or that or this woman doing this or that, then you pick up that something there because they're methodical in the way that they do things. And we can, we, we all are that way. We're very methodical in the way that we do things. So when we read about the word of God and we hear about God's great principles of what he wants to do. Many of us, of course, were exactly the same way. We believed what we were told by our parents, our grandparents, or people with good intention. And they loved the Lord and they served the Lord and they projected what they saw about God under the light that it was shown to them. But can't you see why we needed one who was so close to God himself? There could be no angel that was any more close than Christ Jesus himself, for he came from the very heart of God. He was the very expression of the love of God, which had never been shown. Now, you see, whenever God opened up the side of Adam and God didn't just take out the chemistry, the element of the blood and a a rib out of his side, but God also went inside of his spirit and broke that part away from the man's spirit, the feminist, gentle, tender type of something. That's why when a man meets his true mate, she actually compliments him and he compliments her. But those who don't understand that and they would look at it, well, you know, it's just a man, pick out any, many, many, mo, which one of you wants to go? But that's not really a real mate. But if a man really meets that God-given woman, then they are something that merged together actually before the world ever began. And they complement each other. Now that don't mean they're free from trouble because they're humans and they'll have their differences there, but there's something about her that complements him, something about him that complements her. 
And the longer they're together, the more they begin to sink alike. And they begin to talk alike. And they begin to, you know, come to a spot to where he can say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm sinking today that we might uh, take a little drive and we go down to Troyer's. And she would answer and say, I was thinking the same thing. Now, the reason I use that example to you is because that happened to Carol and I yesterday. Now, those of you that are close to your husband and your wife, you know how that is. You begin to think of things. But that's only a natural thing of the way God and his bride will be. You see, the preeminence that he desired to have in our lives is not controlled by a whip to where that God is constantly cracking a whip over us and scaring us to death and making us don't do this and you sisters are scared to death to cut your hair because God will crack that whip over here and boy just lash you and burn your hide and you brothers don't dress like women because that whip's gonna be cracked over you. Boy the preacher preached hell so hot you can smell the skin boiling off. Well we get it that way here sometimes but that's your fault it ain't God's. If you'd live above hellfire, you wouldn't have to feel it. Well, praise the Lord. Live closer to heaven and you'll hear heavenly wings and heavenly doves. Live like the devil, he's gonna scorch you every now and then. Well, come on, that's right. But how it must please the heart of our Father when he can gain the preeminence in our lives and he does not have to scare us. He does not have to intimidate us by fear into obedience, but rather it is by love. Why? Because we have the very same thing that was in Christ Jesus. What is that? The heart of God. You see, the word of God is wonderful. We love it. We so appreciate it. Oh my, I read it. I study it every day of my life. I meditate on it. I think about it. And I love God's word. But without the heart of God being in me that way, I wouldn't feel the same way about it. But whenever you have the heart of God and you're in love with him, then it places something inside of you that even your trials and your difficulties can become sweetened by the presence of God. Even when you're going through things and you just don't understand them. And the devil will try to come around and raise up that one little three-letter word which is so powerful and so dangerous, and that is the word why. Why? Well, why are you going through this? And why are you going through that? And why this? And why that? Come on, anybody going to preach with me this morning? But you see someone in love with him, even when they do not have the answer to why, they're able to commit it right back into the hands of God and say, I know the thoughts that he thinks toward me, and they are good and not evil. Now it takes more than just memorization to be able to quote that scripture in the time of trouble. But when you're going through difficult things, the heart of God in the believer helps them to know that he loves you in spite of everything you're going through. How many believes that? Now, in the very creation of the existence of the creation of the Logos, when the Logos, which is the Son of God, goes out of the eternal, remember at that time he was not even God yet because the first thing come out of him was the Logos, and the next thing out of that comes angels, and then he starts in the lower forms of creation, condescending and bringing it on down. But God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, now 2,000 years ago, God commanded that light to be able to shine out of the darkness of humanity. 
Now on the earth, of course, there was void and darkness and it covered the face of the deep, but the Spirit of God moved upon the waters and God said, let there be light. And when God did, the spoken word commanded that the darkness would begin to gather together. And if you'll notice the whole thing of those first few verses there in the chapter, it is the separating and the getting together. The separating and the getting together. So God commanded that the waters would all come together. And they were, it's like the whole earth was baptized or covered over in this, in this lunar type of effect from the moon, of course, and from the sun. It had not yet had its power upon it. So here was the moon in its orbit, averaging now 238,000 miles from the earth. But because of the darkness that was there, the lunar effect upon the, on the earth to be able to cause the tidal waves to come and go, it couldn't do it. Because the power was so great on the earth itself, the sun could not be able to shine through. The moon's ability to be able to control the tides and cause it to be there, it couldn't. Why? The earth was in such a terrible chaos. Even the powers which were to be able to affect this earth for millions maybe of years later could not do it because the darkness was so prevailing over this earth. It's the same way with you and I. No matter how much God wants to bless us, heal us, save us, deliver us, do all these things for us, as long as our lives are so enshrouded by darkness, then Satan can be able to keep that darkness over us until the voice of God commands it to leave. Whenever he did, what did God do? Then God gathered the darkness together and the darkness, the day, the light he called day and the darkness he called night. Now God never absolutely obliterated all darkness and done away with it, but God simply began to divide. This is what the spoken word, the light of God for the age does. It will pull us away from denominational this and that and the other. It will pull us away from tradition that is wrong and it will cause them to gather together against us. Now, what did the light do? The light dispelled the darkness, but it did not destroy the darkness. So the light he called day and the darkness he called night. Now, what did he do? He divided and separated, but that division and separation also allowed a gathering together. So the darkness began to gather whether it was all over the earth. Now, instead of being all over the earth, it's in one part of the earth in one time and another cycle, it's on the other part. So there was day and there was night. Now they're both gathered together. And they're gathered with whom? They are gathered with those that are like themselves. So you've got the ultraviolet rays, you've got the gamma rays, you've got all the light rays, and they gather together in what? In day. And then you've got the spheres of darkness and they gathered together where with the day nope they gathered together in the night and this same thing is still ongoing today what's going on right now around the world light and darkness are in a great warfare and the children of God this is why you will never keep them away from the light of the age because they're magnetized to the light even though they were in darkness and they were born lost, yet the Spirit of God had their name recorded on the palm of his hand. Brother, you're talking about a personal diary. You can't get no more personal than that. 
And what does the darkness do? The darkness hovered over your soul, over your nature, over your entire life, your existence. You drank darkness. You ate darkness. You lived darkness. You talked darkness. You thought darkness. You was in that darkened realm. And then the Spirit of God spoke to your seed and God imparted to that the new birth and it brought forth you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Then what does it do? It causes the light of God to gather where in your soul. Oh, Brother Donnie said, man, I ain't got no more trouble. No, it actually forced the darkness to gather where? Right here. So light and darkness are still combating today. Anybody come to church sad or sick or wore out? Well, what is that light? Of course not. It's darkness and justice won't be long. Mile before our days will be changed. And already, of course, after the 21st of December, the days are getting longer. You can sit like I can. They're getting longer. It won't be long. We'll trade over to daylight savings time or back to the, the, the springtime. And the days will get longer and longer. And the nights will get shorter and shorter. But the darkness is still here. Now I flew uh, many times out of the West Coast flying to New Zealand and, and Hawaii and those places like that and Australia for meetings. And it's amazing as you head out and you're going out, say, the setting of the sun in Los Angeles, but yet you're flying west and you watch because the days themselves, you're flying toward the setting of the sun and the day is longer and longer. But whenever you turn right around and come back the other way, you will lose that daylight because of the direction you are going. Now, it's not you that changes the day. It's not you that changes the night. But it is the direction you're going that changes it. Before, we were total dark. We were lost. We were unregenerate. It was the direction we are going. But God, by his grace, turned us around and headed us right toward the daylight. And even though we're in the setting of the sun, it's getting brighter and brighter and brighter to the more perfect day. Amen. Now, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, Paul said, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, they have a sun, we know, you know, averaging 93 million miles, something like that, away from the earth. And we know that the sun, by its great power, if we were high for that distance, we'd never be able to live. If we would move out another 150 million miles away from the sun, we would freeze to death in a matter of moments. But we have to be in this particular spot that God placed us uh, called the earth and this what's called the habitable zone. What that means is that we're able to live in this certain thing and we go around and around. Now, it don't feel like around now, but we're actually spinning 1,000 miles an hour. Right now, the earth is spinning 1,000 miles an hour. How are we all not dizzy? How are we all not sick and just vomiting from all this motion? You are spinning 1,000 miles an hour. And who put us here? Our father did. And yet he had this great plan for the earth, but he must, he places this one out here uh, called the sun, and God allows all of this great fire and all of the mud that's been there for maybe millions and billions of years, and yet the sun itself cannot be able to produce its own light. But the sun is a product of the spoken word, is that right? And so are you. But then the sun, if we would look toward the sun long enough, we would actually go blind, and people do 
do it. They would be able to actually look at it and affect the cornea to such a spot that it would cause them to go blind. And you know that the sun having such great light that even scientists, when they look through it, yet just a few weeks ago, the sun had some great flames that was coming up off of it. And I saw the pictures of it that they'd taken to the telescope and it happens ever so often, they say. And this Elon Musk had put many, many satellites around the earth. But because of these flares that shot off of the sun, it caused these millions of dollars worth of satellites to be destroyed in just a matter of seconds. Because it is something up there in space that God never put there. God never meant for a man to fly to the moon. If God wanted a man on the moon, guess what? He'd have put one up there. I'm not talking about the face either. I'm talking about a real man. So, but it's man's curiosity and man's nature to want to move from his home where God put him to figure out what's going on there. How many millions of acres are laying in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas that are desert if they'd spend some of that money and be able to bring the water and raise all kinds of crops to feed the hungry around the world? And man's got all types of things right here. He still ain't never figured out, but he wants to get out yonder somewhere. Well, I'm gonna get out there. They ain't gonna find nothing, no way. One of these days, we're gonna go past them faster than a bolt of lightning. Is that right? Because we're going not to another planet, but to another dimension. And I heard a scientist say the other day that by this new telescope there, James Webb Telescope, that they're gonna be able to find aliens out there. And they're gonna be able to find all kinds of life. I thought, I know where there's all kinds of life at, but James Webb can't be able to pull into it. But it is in another dimension that is faster than this one. And I hope you understand it. That dimension is not over 20 feet from where we are this morning. Some of you say your loved ones are millions of miles away. Oh, they've died and gone to heaven somewhere. They're not that far away at all. Remember when the prophet was leaning back on the headboard that day and he said he looked at his body and he said, I where I was, I raised up from my body and he said it wasn't 20 feet. It's a dimension. It's not time travel. It's dimensional travel and God created seven dimensions of course, light, matter, time, science, where the unbeliever goes, where the believer goes and where God is. And when we leave this body, our soul has the ability to travel faster than light or sound or rockets or whatever more that man can make. And God placed here in the center of our little galaxy this great light. Now what do we do? So then our life comes from the sun. Chlorophyll into the plants and before long they'll be putting out their little green their little green leaves and they'll shoot and then God magnifies this process in their leaves where they begin to take the rays of the sun and produce this chlorophyll sending sugars down through the tree. Absolutely amazing what our father did. And what did he do? Through the face of the S-U-N. So man is able to live by what? The radiance from the sun. How do we grow our crops on the earth? From the radiance and the warmth of the sun. Is that right? How is it that our animals live in water and hydrogen and oxygen and so on on the earth from the face of the sun? That's wonderful. But let me tell you something. God knew there must be another face on another sun to not bring botany life and animal life and 
human life, but eternal life. And the Son itself, oh my, how we love the Son. Thank God for the Son. But yet how grateful we are that one day that God himself came down to the earth in the form of a man. And now we see the earth, the bride, our humanity, it's still in the way. Oh yes, it needs to be born again. So here come the effigy of God himself, the very essence of his person. And where do you see it? In the face of his Son. And if you look and see a second being that's inferior to the Father, you're still not looking in the right way. If you're looking at two or three people in that Godhead, you're not seeing it the right way. You'll only know God as you look at him through the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank God. Notice Paul says to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now the believer is simply then a jar of clay. And it is the treasure that is within their vessel that has the the great value. We are weak, we are feeble. We get cracks and scars and scrapes and this and that and the other. And it's not us really that is the great thing anyway, but we are the ones that are blessed by God to carry this treasure inside of our humanity. Aren't you grateful for that today? We are not the origin of this treasure. Remember, the jar itself does not produce this treasure. It was not the jars that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in that produced the Dead Sea Scrolls. But the Dead Sea Scrolls found there in the cave of Qumran actually was produced by these men who were replicating the most complete book of Isaiah found right there in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Parchments of Jeremiah and of Ezra and different ones. On and on and on it goes. But the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves were written by men. They were replicated by men who took the original and wrote off of that. And then they put the treasure inside the jar. The jar was simply as a container to preserve them. So are our bodies today. So the gospel, eternal life, is the deposit of God placed inside of our jars. That's why I've said before, if you're a pauper or if you're a millionaire, there ain't no difference in your jar. Some of you a little fatter than the others are. Some of you a little darker, some of you got light hair, some of you got no hair, uh, some of you are brown, some of you black, whatever more, but it's not the jar itself that is the most valuable part. It is the treasure that we pack. Inside this jar, let me tell you something, when God seals the soul with eternal life, even though the jar is breakable, even though the jar is subject to sickness and disease and heartache and trouble, yet once the soul is sealed with eternal life, that treasure is absolutely yours forever. Those of you that have the baptism of the Holy Ghost today, you will never lose that through eternity. Now, watch this. As Paul goes into it in a little different way, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, in a great house, 
There are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, Paul has used many different metaphors when he's laying out here the book of Timothy, and it's actually written to Timothy, the preacher Timothy, with his name on it, and yet God wants Timothy to be able to get a hold of some of these principles. Paul, you know, as as an elder by now, 60-something years old, and Timothy's in his 30s, early 30s if that. So he's a very young man. And Paul wants Timothy to be able to catch this and realize what the setting is. Now he's used the metaphor of a soldier. He's used the metaphor of a gardener. He's used the metaphor of all different types of things. Now he's going to change and use it again. Now watch what he says. In a great house. Now listen to me carefully so you don't misunderstand me. Paul is going to to address the entire church body the entire church body, both church natural and church spiritual, as a great house. Now listen, as a great house, in a great house are vessels of gold and of silver, also of wood or clay or stone. So I want you to notice in the different degrees of the vessels now that are in the house, that they're not all the same character and quality. They do not all have the same consistency. They do not all have the same strength and durability. There's no way a gold of a a vessel rather of clay would be able to have the durability of one of, of a metallurgical substance. You just couldn't do it. So he is going to address the entire whole of so-called Christianity. Now what he's going to do is look at it through the eyes of the way the world will look at it without separating the gold from the clay. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold. So in the visible professing church, there are those in the visible body who really have a character who is of gold. And there's others who come to church. There's others who say they are Christians, who say they love God with all of their hearts. And the honest truth is, they're some of the greatest reproach that the gospel has. They say they're one thing, but they live something else. But now Paul is going to deal with the visible aspect of the church, and then he will change, and he will go to the invisible part. So what the visible world sees it. Now, how many churches did you pass coming here today? How many denominational ones and how many that was you know, independent and whatever more, interdenominational? And yet each of them have what they feel like is the truth. Well, if they didn't, they certainly wouldn't be there. And yet you could have stopped the sun closer to your home, somewhere been more convenient, somewhere that had been maybe you know a little bit closer to where you live or whatever more, but for some reason you felt to come to this one. Well, there was another reason why that other folks did not feel to come to this one. No doubt people went up and down this road, went up and down the four lane over there, and they know this church, they know all about us, <laughs> they know our name, they know us and what we stand for, they think they do, but they had no drawing, nothing, Brother Mac, that would draw them to come and sit here. I'd never go to that church, I'd never sit in there, I'd never follow that, I'd never do whatever them people do over there. Well, you know, maybe they're not supposed to. But in the house, in the big house, In the big house, the economy of God, there are all these different types of vessels. Now, Paul dealt with it, of course, in his day, and so did John. And some of them, Paul felt in his heart that he needed to mention their names. 
Because now they were professing that they were Christians and they were actually teachers among the people. Now let's just take two of them for example, and that is Hermenius and Philetius. Now these guys were misleading some of the people in that day. And they were apparently pleasant men. They were no doubt gifted men. And they were men that had the ability to be able to talk to people and to be able to share with people what they want to do. But I want you to listen to the meanings of their names. The word, the name Hymenius actually means the singing man. The singing man or a wedding song. Now this is what Hymenius means. So Hymenius was the singing man, and he was singing a wedding song. Well, what kind of song, what was that for? Bride, of course. So telling them there's a bride, there's a bride, and there's a bride, and he, he would not only teach about it, but sung about it. Philetius means the kissing man. Whoa, we've had a few of them around anyway. So you got the singing man and you got the kissing man. Wow, what a combination, the singing man and the kissing man. So these guys were no doubt kissing the babies and you know all sorts of things like that and maybe some of the women too. Oh, you never know, they might have been kissing men the way they are, you know. And, and, uh, Philetius is the kissing man and the, the root meaning of his name is a lover. So wouldn't them two make quite an evangelistic team? So you've got the singing man and the kissing man. Wow. And yet Paul felt in his heart to write these guys' names down in the Bible. So they would be identified down through history. Now here is the great house. In the great house are vessels of gold and silver. Paul, Timothy, Andrew, Titus, Philemon, on and on and on we could go. And then in the house is also vessels of clay, vessels of kissing, vessels of singing, vessels who have their own agenda, and yet they're identified in the same thing. Don't you remember the prophet tells us in the church age book that God will speak to them both and call them both church. He will address them both as church. So this is what stumbles so many, many people. Now these two false teachers were seeking to mislead the church. And no doubt they had great effect in doing so in so much that Paul felt he needed to call their name. I realize we got people in the message that don't think that that's necessary sometimes, but you might need to read your Bible a little bit and you'll find out that it was done from the Old Testament right down through the New. So here the kissing man and the singing man got their hide burned by the word man. So here was vessels of clay and vessels of lust and vessels of concupiscence, which is unforbidden things, and they were being blasted by the vessel of gold. But yet they were all in the great house. Now may I say it to you this way, in our message, in our move, it is a great house. In this great house are gifted men that are gold of character. And there's also people that are silver. And there there's all types of people made of all different types of strata and substance, but also right among us are dirt bags. 
I ain't talking about dirt bodies, I'm talking about dirt bag from the soul. There's a difference of being a dirt bag in your body and being a dirt bag in your soul. We're all dirt bags when it comes to the body, but I'm so glad my soul got converted and it ain't no longer a dirt bag. It's a seed of God. Now watch Romans, as Paul catches this in Romans chapter nine, verse 21. Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump, notice, of the same lump, the same lump, to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Has not the potter power over the clay to be able to out of the same lump? He will reach in in the lump of humanity and allow his seed to fall in this one and not that one and this one, not that one and this one, not that one. And if he would have let some of them people live for 10,000 years, they'd still never serve him. Some people, if he'd let them live a hundred thousand years on this earth, they'd never serve him. Can you imagine people in the millennium that will actually be raised, people that have lived down through the generations that never knew the truth, and God will allow the heathen, those that have not known the truth, to be raised in the millennium, and the literal body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will be sitting on the throne from Jerusalem, will come forth the great law of God. The saints of God will be here in glorified bodies. We will be moving about in glorified bodies. The Lord Jesus will sit there on the throne and if you read Ezekiel 44 through 48, you'll find he's that one that comes in that one gate that no one else can go into. And the millennium temple will be built. And at the end of the millennium, many of those people will decide they wanna go and follow the devil. They have lived on the earth for a thousand years. They have been kept alive by the power of God. There has been no death, there has been no suffering, there's been no heartache, but brother, if it ain't in your heart, you can't even live right in the millennium. Don't you understand, they are made to do it. And if they don't come to church, then the sons of God say, all right, where was you that Sunday? Uh, Well, I, I, uh, you don't get no rain on your crops. That's when the sons of God will be fully manifested. And the Lord Jesus will have his mayors and his judges and so on. Who's gonna be over the earth? The sons of God. Then what do you say in Psalms 2? Ask of me the heathen and I will give them unto thee for thine inheritance. And he goes on to say, kiss the son lest he be angry. And there in the millennium, they, they will be subject to the law of God. Not because they wanna be, because when it's over, the Satan will be loosed out of his prison and he will come up on the earth and these people that have seen you in a glorified body, they've seen the Lord Jesus in a glorified body and they say, I hate Jesus. I hate this message. That's what it'll be in the millennium, it's the message. It's the message of the Lord Jesus, the message. You think the message started with Brother Branham? This message started way back on before the foundation of the world. And they will choose to follow the devil after a thousand years of peace. Praise God. Notice this, what if God willing to show his wrath Boy, this stumbles so many people.
to make his power known, endured with much long suffering. The vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. You know what God's doing with America? Endure them. You know what God's doing with the majority of the population of the earth today? Enduring their blasphemy. Enduring their sin. Praise the Lord. And we're enduring it with him. But aren't you glad you're enduring it with God and not enjoying it with them? Amen. Notice. So here are vessels that are actually fitted or made or a predetermined destiny. Oh, but I love this verse. That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. So they're vessels that are actually called vessels of mercy. And then there's these other vessels up here that are called vessels of wrath. You say, how could he be just in doing that? He could see them from the very beginning. Let them live a million years and they'll still hate me. Let them live during the time of the millennium. They'll still hate me. They'll despise me. So he takes and shapes and molds them and titles them vessel of wrath. Vessel of wrath. So in the great house are all kinds of vessels of wrath. But in amongst them, you find a vessel of mercy. Isn't it amazing that you're called that before you ever find that? Don't you understand? You was a vessel of mercy even when you thought you was a vessel of wrath. You was thought, I'm going to hell. I'm, I'm lost. There's no way in the world for me to ever. But you didn't. You wasn't able to read your true name on your vessel. You thought that's who you were. That was the nature you was manifesting. That's what you thought you was going to wind up being. But God said, that ain't who you are. Mercy said, no, no, you're not a vessel of wrath. You're living like they live, but that's only temporary. That's only a temporary setback to your election. You're going to manifest who you are. I called you a vessel of mercy. Notice, so, so is the parable of the net. It's also a story of the great house. Matthew 13, 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. Now remember the kingdom of heaven, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good, uh-oh, into vessels but cast the bad away. So when the gospel is preached, it's like a net. So preachers stand up and swinging it around. Got him, got him. All right, Brother West, Brother Darrell, Brother Joel, you preachers. All right, let's, let's start preaching now. Let's start preaching the truth. Oh, I can't handle that. I 
got to give up my Garth Brooks music. Oh, I, I can't handle it. I, I, I got to quit smoking. I, they told me I can't wear this. I, I can't do that. So they jump out of the net and there they go, right back to where they were. But if you notice, they were already good and bad before the net ever fell across them. The net never made them good. Oh, glory to God. Neither did the net make the bad bad. The net only identified who they were. The truth is what separates why the truth is the light of God coming out of his mouth. Oh my, and so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just. Oh. You see, the ark has the exact same picture, the ark of Noah. For in the ark was a lion and the lamb. In the ark was a gentle sheep and the leopard. In the ark was the crow and the dove. In the ark was Japheth and Ham. In the great house, this great house, this great house was a boat. In the great house is the seed of God. And the serpent seed, when they dropped the door of the ark, <clears throat> and out walked Ham's wife with a child, carrying in her the seed that had crossed over in the ark. Well, glory to God. Notice this. So Paul says there are vessels of gold and Vessels of silver, of wood, and of earth. Second Timothy again, 2.21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, these who? These what? These other people he's talking about in the previous verses. People like Comenius and Philetus. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. You see, God's grace enables a sinner to become a saint, a vessel of honor. Such a person then enters into this walk with God and they start cleansing themselves too. So it's not left totally up to the Spirit of God, but they start laying that aside and that aside. Now you may think that stops after that you once become sanctified. I hope you understand this is ongoing every day of our life. Because the filth, the uncleanness of the world is around us every day. Is that right, saints? And we have to constantly be in the process of this sanctification that we are cleansing ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. Why? The flesh is not born again. So the flesh is still liable to contamination. Don't sit there and look at me now like a bunch of angels. The flesh is liable to evil thoughts. The flesh is constantly 
constantly being bombarded with thoughts and the things of the world, especially in this wicked age that we're living in. And we're constantly having to sanctify ourselves through the purifying process of the Holy Ghost being within our soul. You see, then once that happens, we become a saint in experience as well as a saint in position. We are a saint of God when we're brought into the body by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But then when we start cleansing and purging, the act of sanctification never stops. It's ongoing every day. Then you become a saint in experience. Oh, I shouldn't have listened to that music. I shouldn't read that book. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say that. Come on, everybody. Then you are having an experience of sanctification. You see, the the important thing about this is that we constantly have our vessels clean, set aside. And if Satan cannot get your soul, the next best thing is contaminate your vessel. Anger, temper, resentment, hard feelings, unforgiveness. Oh my. Now the prophet gives us this example and I've used it many times in counseling people that needed to be saved or or trying to find their way to the Lord. And he said, let's say there's a glass out in a barnyard. And we walk out there and we look at that glass and there it is, it's a drinking glass. But it has manure on it or dirt or dust, straw, whatever it is. Nobody in their right mind would pick up that glass and take it in the house and fill it with coffee or Dr. Pepper or milk or whatever it is that you wanna drink. But you reach down first and you justify that glass. Now you take part of that glass's uncleanliness upon yourself. So if it stinks, you stink. If it was dirty, you got dirt on you. Don't you understand this is what he did for us. He come down and found all of us out in a big hog lot of sin. And he reached down and took our sin upon himself. And said, now let me take him to father's house. Let me set them on the altar because remember it was the altar that sanctified the vessels of the Old Testament. How could a pot made of gold, brass, silver, wood, or a jar of clay ever become sanctified to use in the presence of God because of where it was placed? Now the gold might have come from Ophir. It might have come from here or there or there. It was still of the earth, earthly. But what was it that made them vessels so holy and so sanctified? They were set on the altar of God. Once set on the altar of God, the presence of God, the mercy seat, the blood, made that vessel sanctified and holy. Oh. What's this? Verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor and meet 
for the master's use. So we have this container. It's out in the barnyard. Oh, oh, goodness. I'd like to have that. But it's got manure on it, dirt. Oh, I can't even stand it. But I want that. And if I want it, I'm going to get it. So I reach down and I take its filth on me. Now my hand, which was clean, is now defiled. I pick it up. I take it in the house. I turn on the water. Put the stopper in the sinks. Use some of Carol's Dawn. I start washing and washing. I'm picky. Man, I'm a picky outfit. So one time wouldn't be enough for me. Sorry, maybe some of y'all could. Maybe you could sprinkle it and still drink out of it. <laughs> so I wash it and I wash it. I don't see no straw. I don't see no dust. No chicken droppings. I'm going to wash it again. I'm going to wash it again. <laughs> now I get to a spot where I've got rid of all the marijuana, all the drinking, all the cursing, all the lying, all the porn, all, all that sort of stuff. I feel good about it now. Praise God. Now it raised its hands and said, Glory to God! I'm saved. I'm saved from that barnyard. I'm not the same person I was. Hallelujah, I feel it all over me. The master's hand touched me. The master's hand washed me. Ah, but alas, still empty. Now I've washed it. I picked it up out here and I washed it and I brought it in. It was dirty, filthy. I cleaned it. Now what did I do? Sanctification. It's washed, cleaned, and set aside for service, but not in service. Young people, please, please, don't be like that. Old people, whoever you are, don't look back. Well, my drinking's gone, my cussing's gone, my, my smoking, it's all gone. That ain't enough. You've got to be filled. Oh, but the master touched me. Yes. The master cleaned me. Yes. But the master wants to fill you. The word Paul used here was that it might be meat for the master's use. It's set in there. It's not being used. Oh, I'm a Christian. Praise the Lord. I go to church. Hallelujah. Thank God. But you can only be used in the right measure when the master fills you with himself. So then you take the vessel that is saved and sanctified. And then you take your milk, your juice, whatever it is. Then you will take your lips. And you will make this vessel give it such honor 
you will press it to your lips. That vessel which was so filthy, so unclean, so ungodly, is now ministering to you. This is what God wants to brag to me. Not just clean and hallelujah and glory to God and singing man and preaching man and shouting man. But something that can give God. A drink. <laughs> Don't you understand when we come to church? It ain't just about us getting something. It's about us giving something. That we give Him praise. That He takes me, Brother West, takes you, takes you, Sister Janet, you brothers and sisters, to His lips. And the prophet said, the wife ministers to the king. That He fills you with Himself. Now he sends you back out into the barnyard to see if there's any more glasses out there. Then you become a vessel for the master's use. But there's filth, all kinds of stuff out there everywhere. And sometimes you'll step in it. Oh, oh. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we need to have a prayer with the Lord. Lord, forgive me for that. You ever get that old stench of the world on you? It ain't your soul. It ain't your desire. It's where you're at. But here comes the washing of the water by the word. It loses you. Let's bow our heads. We ain't got enough time to finish. Every one of us today are a vessel of some sort, young, old. We can fill our vessel with carnality, sin, foolishness, whatever more. Or we can allow God to fill it with himself. There is no higher honor that you could have, nothing greater you could bear in your vessel than deity. Praise the Lord. Deity. Deity. As we have our heads bowed, I want you to contemplate yourself. Many of you have been picked up from the barn years ago. Jesus set you in this sink and washed you by the water of the word and cleansed you. Some of you went on to receive a filling. Others of you, you're just not sure. No matter where you are today, you have something to do. Paul preaching this or writing this to this, his son of the gospel. And your Timothy was one of, one of Paul's most faithful. He said there was none like him. He even had the same spirit. Like-minded was the word that 
and the English translators use, but when you look at it in the Greek, it's of the same soul. Timothy had the same soul that Paul did. Yet Paul felt to warn Timothy to flee youthful lust. Why? He was still a young man. So he warned him. He saw that what God had done with Timothy, he cleansed him, made a great, great servant out of him. But Paul wanted him to take heed and know that he himself could allow his vessel to be contaminated. So he warns him, cleanse yourself, Timothy. Keep yourself clean, pure. Oh, some of you think it's just drinking and smoking I'm talking about. No, no, it can be bitterness. It can be an attitude towards someone who's wronged you terribly and you from your heart cannot forgive them. It can be just as much damage to your soul as a man smoking cigarettes because it separates you from the presence of God. Our sisters, they not only have their vessel, their body to be able to keep the right clothes and this and that. As brothers as well. And all of us in our spirits, in our soul. That the Lord God can fill us constantly over and over again. How many of you have that desire in your heart today? You want to be a vessel for the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Me too. Can we stand together? Let's move down our brothers to the first quote our Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. What you notice here, Brother Bram says, now his corporal body sits at the right hand of God. You believe that, don't you? But the Holy Spirit is here working through his sanctified vessels. And God has said in the church, what? First apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then evangelists, then pastors. Is that right? For the perfecting of the church, God has did it. It's not the preacher that preaches. It's God preaching through him. It's not the prophet that sees the vision. It's God speaking through him. So the preacher has his vessel that he has to keep clean. The prophet had his vessel that he had to keep clean. Men, women, boys, girls, everyone here, not just the ministers, to keep our vessel clean. You got your hands full, and ain't no question about it. You imagine, here we are, a beautiful bride of the word, and we're dressed in a wedding garment that is so white and sparkling. You've heard me tell you before that the flax and the linen from Egypt was some of the most profound that there was in the ancient world. It was worth as much as gold. Flax and linen, worth as much as gold. Something about the silt from the Nile coming down, you know, they really don't know exactly what made it so brilliant. They've still found some in some of the tombs, the mummies. That ain't nothing compared to the righteousness the bride stands in. And here you are in this spotless wedding gown. But imagine yourself. You're going through this hallway and this doorway and this tight quarters of Laodicea. And everywhere you go, there's black and smut and filth and dirt. And it's just so awful, awful. And here you've got on this beautiful dress. So you'll get a little spot here, a little spot of anger, we'll say, a little spot of unforgiveness. 
And the Lord knew you'd have them. So he inspired John to write it and say it this way, little children, I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate. And the word is parakletos, which is a lawyer. One that's called alongside to help us. We have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ the righteous. Who is a perpetuation for our sins. And not ours only. But the sins of the whole world. Oh, I remember it decades ago when I first heard Brother Branham say it. And it stumbled me. I don't mind telling you. It stumbled me when he said, sinners do not sin. Christians do. And I was a self-righteous Pentecostal. I didn't sin, hallelujah. But once I saw the heart of God, I realized Oh my goodness. It is us who has sinned shortcomings. Now all of those of you that are standing here today that think you don't, that is yours. That is your sin because you look at yourself as being so holy. How could any of us in this world with our carnal humanity stand very far in the presence of God and not see our shortcomings and our faults? The only way that's possible is you've never been in deep enough. You just got picked up out of the barnyard. You're still sitting on the counter. You're barely washed. But the closer you get to him, it's no wonder that Brother Branham, after these visitations, I'm convinced a lot of these folks that have left the message, they apparently never really listened to many tapes. You know, they studied and read books, which ain't the same. But if they would hear him pray, and hear him talk to God. And hear this man that stood in the presence of angelic beings and fought with demons and all this and that and the other. And they would hear that man the way he addressed God. And then want to try to convince me and you he's a hypocrite. You see, people who are so harsh and so judgmental of others. It tells me they've never been deep enough in the presence of God. Because once you get that far enough, brother, sister, you realize you're just like all the rest of us. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you'd go straight to hell. Me included. There is none righteous. No, not. Praise God. Let's bury us together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for visiting us today. You took us on a little tour out before the foundation of the world. Let us swirl around the moon for a bit and the sun. Brought us back to the earth as you spoke and caused the darkness to dissipate over the earth. And you brought us down into a barnyard. I love the way you do, Lord. You use things that are so simple yet so profound. Probably a lot of these people could see as I could see when I was preaching that. I could see myself picked up out of that barnyard as a 12-year-old boy. When you come down, I couldn't come to you. I had no way to get up to where you were. But you come down to me. It was you that come in the barnyard of where I was. Dear Jesus, you picked me up. 
started washing me. Thank you, Lord. Now, Father, I'm so grateful as I stand among hundreds today that I believe that's happened to them. Now, dear God, you have committed to us that we ourselves must also be in the purging process. That it's not just going to be you that's going to do it all the time. But we will purge ourselves. When we see things about us that's wrong or things that we pick up that don't please you. Oh, Father, I pray it help each of us today. I can think of no greater honor. Lord, I think of many singers. Elvis Presley learned to sing in church. Learned to shake his leg and drove the people crazy in those days. As an assembly of God boy, shouting and seeing his mama, his people shouting under the presence of God. Stand and sing with that voice. Then he turned that vessel over to the devil. Oh, they crowned him the king of rock and roll. But he had to turn down the great king to become a king. Lord, we could think of many, many others, many of the famous country stars that have lived down through the years had their beginnings in church. Many of them to this very day that are some of the most popular had their beginnings in church. Oh, they'll make a gospel album every now and then. And Bill Gates will let him get on his friends deal. That's because he gathers that type of stuff. But they can go ahead and drink and do all those sorts of things and make a, a gospel album every now and then and get on Gaither and friends and sing. That's the vessels in a great house. And then go out and live like the devil. Lord Jesus, we don't want to be that way. We want to be vessels. Lord God, I wish I could explain to them how I felt just a few moments ago when I took that lid off of that Gatorade bottle and turned it up to my lips. I felt humbled. I felt honored. Because I feel like that's what you want to do with us today. So fill us with your goodness and your mercy. Lord Jesus, that you can turn us up while people are blaspheming your name ridiculing you, say you don't even exist. But if you need a fresh drink, Lord, let my life, let my life bring Jesus a fresh drink of water. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord God, let my life right here in this service, let me be able to love you and worship you and adore you. Take my little vessel in your hands, Lord. Turn it up. I'll adore you. I'll worship you. I'll praise you. I'll bless your name. Oh, Jesus. Help us today, Father, I pray. How many wants to do that today? Would you just raise your hand to God? Those of you that are streaming at home, maybe in France, Norway, Canada, wherever you are, different parts of the earth, May the Spirit of God so deal with your heart right there where you are. 
Cleanse your vessel. Cleanse your vessel. Temper, anger, bitterness, strife. As long as that's in your heart, you keep the flow of the Spirit of God out. But the prophet said, God wants empty vessels. Empty vessels. Then he can take those empty vessels and fill them with himself. You ever remember the widow woman in the Old Testament? She was about to lose everything she had. And the prophet told her, go borrow vessels and bring them in. She only had a little bit of oil. He didn't tell her to borrow oil. He didn't tell her to borrow a bunch of water. He didn't tell her to borrow any other thing but just empty vessels. Bring empty vessels and then the miracle was performed that all those empty vessels were filled out of that one. What was it? Christ. Christ. So what did God do? God brought what? A prophet's word, a prophet's message. Gather those empty vessels. And we got into the house of God. Thank you, Lord. And God took that one vessel and filled another and another and another and another. Do you understand? He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All the Holy Ghost that's in the earth today was bottled up in that one person, the Lord Jesus. So God gets us in the right house at the right time, at the right place. Then God takes Christ, hallelujah, and pours him into you. And the thing of it is, there's just as much in him as there was before he started pouring. He's poured millions of souls for 2,000 years and the same fullness is still in him today as it always was. Praise God. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I believe with all of my heart I'm sealed. But Lord, sometimes I feel like I need a refilling. Oh, Lord, I raise my hands in your presence today, Lord Jesus. The burdens of life, the difficulties and things we go through, Lord. We feel like we need to gather like them apostles did and after they received the Holy Ghost. The prophet said they got another refilling. Oh, he said there's one seal, one baptism, but then we get filled and refilled and refilled. And ain't that it runs out? We give it out. Praise God. Come by today, Lord Jesus, would you? Visit us here today, Father. Oh, refill us with love and mercy and joy and forgiveness and healing. All the things we have need of, Lord. We worship you, Lord God. Anybody wanted? Would you just raise your hands? Just ask him, Lord, refill me. Refill me, Lord Jesus. Sometimes I feel like I get depleted, Lord. I need a refilling today. Oh, Jesus, pick me up, Lord. Press me against your lips. Make me a vessel. The Holy Ghost don't come from me. It don't come from us as individuals. We are not the originators. We are only the jars. Oh, Lamb of God, fill us today, I pray. Almighty God, may the presence of the Lord God come among us now, Jesus. Heal the sick. Deliver those that are bound. Deliver those that are captive, Father. 
In the name of Jesus, may your healing virtue extend to those at home. Father, those that have a need, grant it, I pray, Lord. We worship you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. All right, little bride, now it's your turn. Jesus wants to be loved and praised and worshiped right here this morning. Is there anybody that's got anything in you that you'd like to turn back and give praise and water to him? For over an hour now, he's been speaking to us. Could we take just five minutes? That shouldn't be asking too much out of us. He's been dealing with us for over an hour. Maybe we could take just a few minutes and render back something to him that angels cannot give him. I can give him praise from a redeemed soul coming out of lips that's going to be redeemed after a while. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God, we go back in our memory to when laying out there in that old barnyard, Father, all the filth of the world on us. But in grace, you reached down and picked us up. You washed us, you cleansed us. Then, Father, you filled us and you put us in service. Lord God, may we remain in service until breath leaves our body. Hallelujah. Then we'll gather together in the sixth dimension with all the other jars that have held eternal life. Praise the Lord. We worship you today, Lord Jesus. Oh, let's just worship him together, saints. I know you got plans today. It's a pretty day. You got lunch there. But let's, let's just forget about lunch for a few minutes. Oh, let's just take a minute. By goodness, think of the fields you was in. Think of where you were. And he reached down and picked you up. If he just washed you, that'd been enough to praise him for for eternity. If he just reached you up and poured, took his precious hands and bore your sin on himself. But he did that then washed you and cleaned you and then said, now stand still. I'm not going to put Kool-Aid in your milk or Coke or Pepsi or Sprite. I'm going to baptize you with myself. I'm going to fill you with deity. Praise the Lord. I'm going to fill you with deity. Now I'm going to send you back out on the barnyard. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Hallelujah, let me love through you. Let me extend mercy through you. Oh, Lord God, help us today, Jesus. Love through me, Jesus. Heal through me, Jesus. Touch through me, Lord God. Help me to say a kind word, oh God. Press me to your lips. May I be your microphone as it were, Lord. May these people be a thunder voice, the voice of God lived out in this day. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Brother Joel Brown, will you come and sing that? The more that I surrender for us. Oh, Jesus, we worship you.
Don't just give him your wallet, friends. Don't just give him what part you want him to have. Give him that which you treasure the most about yourself. Give him your pride. Give him everything you are. Praise the Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus, if I've got anything held back about me today, Father God, show me what it is. Lord God, may your spirit go amongst us today, Lord. May you search every heart, I pray. Hallelujah. Go ahead, Brother Joel. The more that I surrender, the lighter my Lord. The more that I release my cares, the more you take.
easier to understand this road I'm traveling down no To my future home And the voice I hear Is yours alone Every day that I live Lord, I love you more The more, the Of honor 
Take every man, woman, boy, and girl. Maybe the teenage boy, the teenage girl that's feeling the pull of the world. Satan tried to get them to mar that vessel. Oh, Lord God, may you keep them. Oh, Jesus, if they could sit down and talk to some of these who took those years and sowed the wild oats, as it were, how they wish they could be able to go back and relive that life. Help these young people, Father, I pray, to realize what an honor it is to be a youth. Be able to be young, to have their years before them. To be a young person that will come out of this age and say, by the grace of God, he kept me in the darkest age that's ever been on the earth. When Satan has got so many things aimed at our young people. Lord God, while he's got hell aimed at them, You've got the Holy Ghost aimed at them. Praise God. Oh, Jesus, if there's a one of our youth today that doesn't have the Holy Ghost, Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus, may you come by today, Lord, and fill them. Help them, I pray, Lord, that they'll not be satisfied by just being cleaned up out of the barnyard, washed at the sink, but they'll not be satisfied until you fill them with yourself. Grant it, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Praise the Lord. How many can say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord today? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you, saints. So love you in the Lord. May each of us take our vessel, present it to the king. Well, I know this and I know that. No, that's the problem. Right here is what the prophet said God wants. Empty vessels. So he can fill us with his goodness and his mercy, his kindness and whatever more. And we can minister to others and turn around and minister to him. God bless you. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. My Father, I thank you for this meal that we've received today. I thank you for breaking forth the bread of life. Oh, Jesus, you know what we have need of. May we take this and ruminate on it as sheep do. May we think over it in the days that are to come. Help us, I pray, Father. Keep us by your grace. And help us to realize you will keep us as far as in the allocation that you're supposed to. And then you commit a certain portion of that keeping to us that we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. There are certain things that we must do that you will not do for us. But you know how we tend to be lazy sometimes. We want you to do everything. But Lord, help us to be willing to do our part. So when the great rapture comes, praise God, the rapture is the fullness of the power of God that'll change this jar into a glorified body. Praise God. We love you, Lord. May there not be a one of us missing that day, we ask. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise God. Brother Joel, would you sing that? If anybody asks you where I'm going, we can tell them, can't we? Well, I hope, I'm thinking, I'm praying. No, I'm as convinced that there's a God in heaven. With this message, not only comes the token, but there comes 
an assurance that we pass from death unto life. God bless you. Go in the fear of God. Service your Wednesday. See those of you that can come. If you want to know where I'm going, where I'm going, oh, one day soon, if anybody asks you, Take the pain, the heartache that life is sure to bring. I have comfort in knowing I'm gonna put on wings and fly from this old messy world. As God gives me grace, I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna run and say in this race. Until I see my Savior with my own eyes I'm going up Oh, hallelujah Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going up yonder To be with my
Say 